It is one of the most misunderstood and yet most important moments in history. That which you just saw dramatized. See, Jesus told his disciples to, to wait in Jerusalem, to wait for that which had been promised, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They wondered, they, they said, Jesus, are, are you at this time going to restore Israel? And he said, it, it's not for you to worry about those things, but, but you will receive power. You will receive power. I want you to say that word with me, power. Ready on the count of three. One, two, three, power. Say it again, power. Say it one more time, power. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It was of primary importance. It's the reason why Jesus said, don't move forward until this happens. We're told in Acts chapter 2 that they were there, the disciples were in one place and in one accord. And suddenly, I love that, I love that statement, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. God, I thank you for the opportunity that you give us this morning to consider your word. I thank you for this promise of the Holy Spirit and for the work of the Holy Spirit that happened not just on the day of Pentecost, but is still at work today. I ask God that you would minister and move in this place by your Holy Spirit, that you would cause us to have understanding. We thank you for insight. We thank you for life change because of what you're going to do in these moments. We commit it to you. In the wonderful and the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. This issue of the Holy Spirit, it, it is something that we should be very comfortable with. And yet, the idea of a Pentecostal experience, it frightens so much of the church, and it's misunderstood by so much of the church. I will tell you, when, when I approach a, a Sunday morning sermon, there are a couple of things I want to do. Number one is this. I, I want to challenge you emotionally, and here's the reason why. Every decision that we make is a decision of the mind, the will, and the emotion. And so, I want to make you laugh. I want to make you cry. I want to move you somehow. I want there to be inspiration in it. I also want there to be information. I want you to learn a new principle, or, or I want to remind you of something that maybe is dormant. And then the last thing that I want to do is I want application. I want you to be able to take it, and when you walk out of here, it, it be an influence in your life. It, it changed the way that you're functioning, or it enhanced the way that you're functioning. Sometimes on Sunday mornings, it'll, it'll lean more inspiration. Sometimes it'll lean more information. Hopefully, always, there's application. This morning, because there's so much misinformation about the principle of Pentecost, I want, I want you to know this morning that we're going to lean a little bit heavy on information. I, I believe this, though. I believe this is something that can captivate you. I believe it's something that can bring about meaningful life, life change. This issue of the Holy Spirit, it is far too important to simply give you a, a summary of. 
And so I, I want to talk to you about this. We, we know of the reality of the Holy Spirit. We know of the reality of the Holy Spirit because it was prophesied by Joel. Joel in 2.28, he says this. It, it's, it's, what, it's what Peter quotes in Acts chapter 2. Peter quotes in Acts chapter 2 what Joel said in Joel 2.28, and he said this. He said, in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. In the last days I will pour out my spirit on all, on all flesh. Now, I want to ask you a very important question, a challenging question this morning. Are you ready for this? Are you flesh? You can check if you'd like. Are you flesh? So what that means is this. It means that the Holy Spirit is available, friend, for you. It was prophesied by the prophet Joel. It was also, it was talked about by John the Baptist. In Luke chapter 3, in Luke 3.16, John the Baptist says this. He says, I baptize you in water, but there is one who is coming who will baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire, in the Holy Spirit and fire. So it was prophesied about by Joel. It was also talked about by John the Baptist. Jesus talked about it, that scripture that I quoted just a a few moments ago from Acts chapter 1, when Jesus said, and you will receive the Holy Spirit, right? You will receive power when this Holy Spirit comes upon you. And it was also talked about by the Apostle Paul over and over again. Notably, in Acts 19, he's at Ephesus, and he asks the believers at Ephesus, he says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? It's important to understand that because oftentimes people confuse salvation with the endowment of power that is the Holy Spirit. And Paul asks the Christians at Ephesus, he says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Their response is, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. He prays on them, he, pray, he says a prayer on them, and they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak with other tongues, and they begin to prophesy. One of the aspects of the Holy Spirit that we're really uncomfortable with is this speaking in tongues business. It seems kind of different. And in fact, it can, it can seem kind of, kind of weird. Culture can be weird, can't it? I, I found myself in some interesting moments culturally that kind of freaked me out. Let me tell you the first time I was ever in a Catholic church. The first time I was ever in a Catholic church, I was a student at North Central Bible College in Minneapolis. There was a comparative religions class. I was not in that class, but several of my friends were in that class. And they had to go and visit these different religious services. One of the services they were to to go and experience was a Catholic mass. And they were going to go to an evening service. They came and they asked me if I would go. And I said, no, I don't want to, no. No, I'm, I'm not going. They said, I tell you what, if you go, we'll buy you pizza. And I said, okay, I'll go. I'm a college student. Come on. So we, we go to Catholic Church in downtown Minneapolis. We sit down, and the priest walks up and says, Hi, boys, what brings you to Mass? And my friends say nothing. And I go, Well, sir, we're here. We're, we're students at North Central Bible. He goes, Oh, comparative religions class. I see you guys once a semester. And he said, he says, Come on, son. I'm going to give you a, a, a front row experience. No, sir, I'm not in the class. They're in the class. No, no, just come on. So he hands me this urn of water, of holy water. And he says, just follow me. So I'm following him around as he's dipping this this scepter in this water, and he's sprinkling people. I am am drenched. I think he's really, I think he's he's having a good time with this. He's enjoying this. He's he's teaching this, you know, this young, arrogant Bible school punk a lesson. 
Uh, but I will say this. First time I was in the Catholic Church, I was an altar boy. Beat that. <laughs> it was different for me, though. I, I, didn't, I didn't understand it. And can I tell you that for me in that moment, it was weird. For the people that, that did it all the time, they were used to it because it was their culture. Culture, a great definition of culture is this. It's the way things are done. It's the, the normal way that things are done. And anytime you go into an, a different environment, things are going to be different. It does not necessarily mean that they're wrong. Some of you, as you came here this morning, I, I know this. When you walk up to this big, massive building, it can be pretty imposing. And you walk in, and, and the, the worship experience is different for you. There's not a, a big organ up here, and there's, there's moving lights, right? And then people are clapping, and you're not used to people clapping in church. And then people start raising their hands. Oh, what's going on here? I, that's, you know, the only time I see people raising their hands is when they're being held up. <laughs> Possibly you heard somebody around you speaking in a language that was unfamiliar to you. And that's... It's different, and it's, it's a cross-cultural experience for you, and it seems weird. And it's human nature to push back against that which was different. But as you, as you saw on the video, and that's a clip from the 12-week series that they're showing on NBC, it's a, it's a retelling of a factual historical account. What you saw on that video screen is what is recorded in Acts chapter 2. It is an undeniable fact that on the day of Pentecost that God fulfilled what the prophet Joel prophesied in Joel chapter 2. And that was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But as we understand what Joel said hundreds of years earlier, it wasn't just for that moment. I will pour out my Holy Spirit upon all flesh. In fact, when Peter explains to the crowd that forms as a result of being curious of what happened in that moment, Peter makes a statement. He says, this is not just for today. It's for you. It's for your children. It's for your children's children. It's for as many as the Lord our God shall call. And friend, God is calling you. The Holy Spirit woos you. And because God calls you, because the Holy Spirit woos you, that means that the Holy Spirit is available for you. It's not just available for you. It's something that God desires for you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the, is the very presence of God that dwells within you and empowers you. This is the reason why God wants us to embrace the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of misguided theology as it relates to the Holy Spirit. There are people that will tell you, well, the Holy Spirit was just for the disciples. And, and, and I'll tell you, one criticism that I have over the video clip that you saw was this. They showed 
the 12 disciples, when in reality, here's what we know, there were 120 people in that upper room. It wasn't just the 12 disciples. But all who in the upper room, it says that they all, not just the disciples, but they all began to speak in other tongues. But it didn't just happen in the upper room, because there are some who will tell you that it was just for, the, just for the, 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 the apostles. We know that's not the case. And here's the reason we know that's not the case. In Acts chapter 8, we're told this. We're told that there are some Samaritans who become followers of Christ. This is, should be no surprise to us, right? Because Jesus spent time in Samaria. Remember the time Jesus spent with the woman at the well? She goes out and she tells people all about Jesus. They come back and it says that many became followers in those several days that Jesus spent with them in that moment. So after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, this group of believers finds life in Samaria. The people that are culturally very disconnected from the Jews, they are cultural enemies. And yet the Samaritans accept and become followers of Christ. And here's what it says in Acts 8.14. It says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now we know this. We know that when they received the Holy Spirit at this moment, that it was something that came with a power expression. The reason that we know that it came with a power expression is because if you look in Acts chapter 8, it says this that there's this guy, Simon, the sorcerer, that he sees what's happening, and he approaches the apostles, and he says, hey, can I buy what you've got? Because he recognized there was something dramatic and something dynamic about it. It wasn't just the people in the upper room. It wasn't just the, 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 the disciples, the apostles, or the 120, or the Samaritans. We also see this. We see people who are non-Israelites. The house of Cornelius, this Roman guy, in Acts chapter 10, there is this group of people that they live in Caesarea, and Peter goes to them, prays for them, and this group of God-fearers receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak in tongues and prophesy. Acts chapter 19, I mentioned this a few, a few moments ago. The people of Ephesus, they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they speak in tongues and prophesy. All across this room, there are people who have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they speak in tongues, and they prophesy. There are some who will tell you that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was for that day, not for today. Number one, it does not line up with Scripture. Number two, the person with experience is never at the mercy of the person with theory. Let me say that to you again. The person with experience is never at the mercy of the person with theory. You're not. Let me ask you a question. How many of you here today, you've experienced miraculous healing in your body? Raise your hand. Now, there are those who say that 
Miraculous healing is not a part of what God does today. You have experience. The person with the theory, they're a bit confused, wouldn't you say? Okay? The person with experience is never at the mercy of a person with theory. Now, we don't base our theology. Listen very carefully what I'm about to say here. We don't base our theology on experience. We base our theology on, I love the way uh, that Alicia described it this morning. We base our theology on the undiluted Word of God. But Alicia, here's what the Word of God says. It says that by His stripes, you are healed. That's why you can stand and sing and dance today, because that's the God that we serve. And our God does not change. He's the same God with the same glory, yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever. And so when he said, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, that means it's available to you. So we have this understanding of of, of, of who it's available to. Millions of believers around the world today. The Pentecostal church is growing faster than any other facet of of Christianity. Not just any other facet of Christianity. It's growing faster than any other religion in the world. There is a lot of talk about Islam. Understand this. Islam is only growing as fast as population growth. Now, why are they growing so fast? Um, Where's Pastor Jeff at? Pastor Jeff. How many children are there in your family? Ten children, okay? The reason why Islam is growing fast, it's population, it's not conversion. Get this. But people are accepting Jesus as their Savior and Lord around the world. Even in what are seeming Islamic strongholds. Pastor Jeff, is the church not growing exponentially in Iran today? like it never has before, true? Okay? And the majority of these people that are accepting Christ in Iran, here's what they are. They are Pentecostal believers because they experience the power of God. People want something more than a dogma. They want something more than religious philosophy. They want something that has power that they can grab onto. And we serve a God of power, friends. It's vitally important that we get this. Because what Jesus said to his disciples rings true today when he said this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witness. You hear me talk about this over and over again, but today in in the Orlando area, there are just about 1.5 million people that are unchurched or de-churched, and if they die today, they are going to die and go to a crisis eternity. They're going to die and go to a crisis hell, and God cares about them, and he's called you and me to reach them with the reality of who he is, and he makes this power available to you so you can be a dynamic witness. But far too much of the church lives an an anemic and a fearful life, and that's the reason why less than 10% of Christians ever effectively witness to somebody else. It is not God's will, it's not God's plan that any perish, and God has made more than enough wisdom, ability, and power available to the church 
to revolutionize our world. But the church sits in fear and anxiety because we're uncomfortable with change, and so we resist the empowerment of the Holy Spirit because it kind of creeps us out a little bit because it's different. Different is not bad. The disciples in the upper room, they had never experienced that before. Being in a room and the sound like a mighty rushing wind, fire appearing, landing upon their heads, and then them speaking languages that they've never heard before, that's different. That's weird. Sometimes weird is good. Because the result of them responding well to the Holy Spirit in that moment, those 120 people in the upper room, by the end of the day, the church didn't number 120, it numbered 3,120. And friends, that's what God wants to do in Orlando, in Florida, across the United States, and around the world. But what it's going to take is it's going to take an energized church that embraces all that God has available to us, including the Holy Spirit. And what God does is God gives us this thing called the Holy Spirit so we can feel His passion, so we can walk in His power, so we can live in His presence, and so we can understand His purpose. Let me talk to you for just a moment about the counterfeits. Let me tell you what Pentecost is not, what this impression of the Holy Spirit is not. It is not mere emotionalism. It's not fluff on fire. And and there's a danger in that. What we tend to do is we tend to chase the emotion of the moment. We love those emotional moments. And Pentecost is not an emotional thrill, a spiritual chill. God doesn't need a big musical crescendo to move. God can move in quiet intimacy, and He can move in the midst of the masses. Make no mistake, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it will influence you emotionally. Why? It goes back to what I said earlier. Every decision that you make is a decision of the mind, the will, and the emotion, because God created you. He created you intellectually or mentally. He created you physically, and He created you spiritually. And, and that, that emotional feeling that you have, it, it's a response to, the, to how God created us. And so it shouldn't surprise us. And by the way, we shouldn't suppress those feelings that we have when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. There's nothing wrong with it. Different people will respond different ways, and different people will respond different ways in different moments. There are times when you're spending moments in the presence of God, very God of very God, and the Holy Spirit is moving upon you. There are times that you'll just be overcome with joy. You may hear someone next to you in that moment, you may hear them start to, start to chuckle. You know what? They just can't help but but just be filled with laughter in the moment because they're just overwhelmed with joy. Sometimes that, that understanding of the awesomeness of the moment that you're spending in the presence of God, it was just, it, you'll find that, that tears just start to flow because the grace of God becomes so clear to you. And the glory of the Lord is all-consuming to you. There are also, there are those moments, those experiences where where you will see somebody that the joy of the Lord comes upon them, and man, they just can't help but dance. 
man, let them dance. And here's the thing. You're free to dance here as long as it's not a distraction to others. You're free to dance, okay? And if you want to dance crazy, as long as you're quiet, you can go to the balcony. If you're loud, we've got other rooms. Because you don't have to do it up front if it's not a show, right? And we're not here for show. We're here to meet with God. Sometimes what you'll see is this, is you'll see people when, and, and, and when the presence of God comes upon them, they just yield everything and poof, they fall down. Did God push them down? God doesn't push you down, friend. Okay? Sometimes preachers do. I never do. In fact, I've had preachers try to push me down. I looked at an evangelist one time and I said, don't push me. Because he was, he was pushing on my head. He was like, and I said, don't push me. If God wants me to go down, that's fine, but I'm not going down for you. I don't take a courtesy flop for anybody. I will say this. I, one time I took a courtesy flop because I was in a church service where they had us packed so far together and people started falling over and the people hit me and it was go down or have my legs broke. The problem is this. We tend to push back because of the counterfeits. And Pentecost is not emotionalism. It's also, it's not intellectualism. I love what Paul said in, in, in 1 Corinthians. He says this. He says, when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom. In fact, when I came to you, I came to you in, in, in weakness and fear and with much trembling. I, 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 didn't want you to be, I didn't want you to be moved by my persuasive words or my wisdom, but I wanted you to experience a demonstration of God's power. Pentecost is also not salvation. The endowment of power that the Holy Spirit brings is not salvation. There are moments that people receive it at the same time as salvation. And we see that in Scripture where people have received the expression of Pentecost at the same time as salvation. The vast majority of the time, this endowment of power, it comes subsequent to salvation. So here's what we know. We know it's not emotionalism. We know it's not intellectualism. We know it's not salvation. It's also, it's not sanctification. What does that mean? It means you're not a better Christian if you have experienced Pentecost and demonstrate spiritual gifts. It doesn't make you a better Christian. What it does do, though, is it does make you a better equipped Christian. Let me say that again. It doesn't make you a better Christian. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a better Christian because, I, look, look, we're saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. Okay? And you're either, you're either a sinner or a saint. There's, there, there's no better Christian than, than worse Christian. All right? You've either, you've either accepted the free gift that Jesus Christ makes available to us through the redemptive work of the, uh, of the cross, or you're living outside of his grace, and you're lost. Lost or saved, lost or saved, there's no gradation. However, we know how important this issue of the Holy Spirit is because Jesus told his disciples, wait for it. This is important, he said. I want you to wait for this. Don't do anything until you get this. This is very important. And so having an understanding of, of what it is is very important. The, the, the proof of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit 
in the life of a believer is this. It brings evidence of his presence. It brings an experience of his power. It, it ushers in all these spiritual gifts. And the, along with those spiritual gifts comes the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Ma'am, would you like your husband to be more gentle? Pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. Sir, would you like your wife to be more loving? Man, pray over her that she would walk in the Spirit, that she would be filled with the Spirit. Would you like your neighbor to be more gentle? Man, start praying over their house. God, I pray that the Holy Spirit just falls on my neighbor's house. I pray that the Holy Spirit falls on my neighbor's house or something falls on my neighbor's house, but I want something to, right? When we recognize what, what the result is of this thing, the Holy Spirit coming upon us, and it, 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 it affects us in a profound way. It affects our witness. It affects our, our spiritual warfare. And it enhances our worship. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, we find, we find, we find that the, the disciples are there and, and they're, they're together and they're doing ministry. And it tells us in, in verse number 31, it says this. It says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Look at this, verse number 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that they had any of their possessions uh, of their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. God's principles and God's plan works. And listen, our God is a God of more than enough. In the last few weeks, we, we had talked about the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children, right? And, and when he was done, after he fed the 5,000, do you remember how many baskets full were left over? Twelve, okay? And then a little while later, he fed 4,000. Seven loaves. How many baskets full were left over? Uh, see, this one people don't remember as much. A little, little bit of Bible test. Seven, seven, seven baskets full. Do you think that Jesus understood math? Here's what I find that's interesting about God. Our God is always a God of more than enough. See, there's a bad theological statement out there, okay, that God will give you what you need in the time that you need it. Mm -mm -mm -mm. If you look historically, biblically, God's precedent is this. Our God is a God of margin. It's the reason why he instituted the Sabbath. 
Six days shall you work, he said, but on the seventh day you will rest. Why? Because our God has always been a God of margin. Our God has always been a God of more than enough, and yet we live our lives with not enough time, right? I'm too busy, I'm too busy, I'm too busy, I'm too busy, I'm too busy. Because if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. We live our life with not enough resource, and we live our life with not enough energy. Man, I'm just so tired, I'm tired, I'm just so tired. And yet, when you read the stories of God's presence being manifest, here's what we find. There's enough. There's not just enough. There's more than enough. Friend, God wants you to live with a song in your heart, a smile on your face, a swing in your step. He didn't create you to survive. You're not called simply to exist. What did Jesus say in John chapter 10? He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come that you might have what? Life. And life with abundance. Let me tell you where that abundance starts. That abundance starts by walking in the Spirit, by living in the Spirit. That is found when we embrace all that the Holy Spirit is. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What was the evidence over and over again in Scripture, what was the evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit? They spoke in tongues and they prophesied. We tend to get, we tend to get caught up on this and we tend to get tripped up on the speaking in tongues business. Part of it is because we can't fully understand it because it's an unknown language that it kind of makes us uncomfortable. The second thing is people are afraid of doing this thing that they can't control. So let me help you this morning. Let me set you free. It tells us this in Acts chapter 2. Not just in Acts chapter 2. Every time we hear about someone speaking in tongues and prophesying, here's what it says. And they began to speak. Let me illustrate this for you. I want you to say a word with me. I want you to say the word yellow. Ready? One, two, three. Yellow. Do it again. One, two, three. Yellow. Come on, everybody. One, two, three. Did anyone uncontrollably, did your body just spew out the word yellow? Anyone? No. You made a decision to speak that word, correct? Okay? Even though I asked you to do it, even though I encouraged you to do it, it was a decision of the will. You began to speak. When you look at what it says about this thing, the Holy Spirit, it doesn't say that, that voices came out of them. If you have voices uncontrollably coming out of you, it is not the presence of God. That's a very different spirit, and we need to talk. Okay? Because, friend, if you have voices coming out of you that you're not controlling, there's a good chance you need deliverance. This empowerment of the Holy Spirit, it's a gift that God gives you, but you do not surrender your will. 
Remember I was talking earlier about when people experience the presence of God and sometimes people will laugh, sometimes people will cry, sometimes people will even, they just kind of fully yield to God and they fall over. You know what? If you absolutely do not and refuse to have any of that happen to you, it won't happen. Because God never takes away your free will. It's the greatest gift that God has given you is your ability to choose. You determine your destiny. And you determine the level to which you connect with very God of very God. But utilizing this gift that God has given you, this power of God, which includes this language of the Spirit, because that's what when they spoke in other tongues, that's what they were doing. They were speaking a language of the Spirit. We know this because Paul describes it this way. He says, if I speak with the tongue of men and of angels... Paul also said this. He said, I pray in the Spirit and I pray with understanding. I sing in the Spirit and I sing with understanding. He recognized that this is a gift or a divine enablement that God gives us. Well, yeah, but it's different, and so I don't want, it's just different. It is different. And it was the difference between 120 disciples hanging out in an upper room, fearful, and 120 disciples going out and impacting 3,000 and 5,000 and 20,000 and millions and over a billion around the world. That's why Pentecost is important. That's why I'm in a Pentecostal church. That's why I want our church to be profoundly Pentecostal. That's the reason why I want every one of you to have an understanding of what this thing Pentecost is. There are those who will say it was just for the apostles. No, we see historically that's not true. There are those who will say that it was for a season, but we don't need it anymore. So are you telling me we don't need the power of God? Secondly, the Scripture that they use to support that, it's a totally misappropriate use of that Scripture. Because they use the Scripture from 1 Corinthians 13 where it says, where there's tongues, they will cease. But that same, in, that same, in that same sentence, it says this, Where there is tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Friends, is knowledge passing away? We know this. Prophetically, it says this. In the last days, knowledge will increase. Is knowledge increasing? Anyone sitting here who has a teenager in school can tell you knowledge is increasing because the things that your kids are doing in math in school are very different than what you were doing in school, true? Right? They come to you and they go, Dad, help me with this. And you go, "Uh, uh, seven? No, Dad, this math problem has no numbers. How can a math problem have no numbers? So we know this, that knowledge is increasing, not decreasing. That Scripture says, when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Now we see through a glass dimly, but then we will see face to face. What Paul, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, is talking about in 1 Corinthians 13 wasn't when the Bible was completed, And that's what people will say, that when the Bible is completed, we didn't need these spiritual gift things anymore. 
No. What he was talking about in 1 Corinthians 13, he was talking about that day when Jesus splits the eastern, eastern sky and calls his children home. And until that day, until the day of the rapturing of the church, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are absolutely vital. And God wants you to embrace them. And I understand this. I understand that it's a little different, that it's not the norm, especially if you've grown up in established traditional church. I know for you, it, it, at times, it's, it's even a little bit uncomfortable for you to be here, even with the raising of the hands business. So, Pastor, I'll hang out with the whole raising of the hands, but don't ask me to speak in some weird language. I'm not asking you to speak in a weird language. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to be open to what God wants to do in you and through you. Let me tell you my personal experience with Pentecost. My junior year in high school, I accepted Christ as my Savior and Lord. Uh, I started out in a Baptist church, uh, a Baptist church that did not believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit on any, by any stretch of the imagination. And I was, I was praying before going to bed one night, and, man, I felt just a strong urge, instead of praying in words that I understood, to pray in words that they, they seemed like they were just coming from within me, Right? Instead of coming out of my knowledge, it just seemed to be coming from my soul. And I began, I just, just felt like, like the right thing to do. So I began to speak them out. And I just kind of prayed that way for a while. At the end, I just felt really refreshed and really it just, it was impactful for me. The next day after school, I, I went to the, the church that I was attending and talked to my youth pastor. And he walked me through and showed me scripturally what I had experienced, started me out in, in, in Luke chapter 3, and then took me to John chapter 14, then took me to Acts 1 and 2, and then took me to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, and said, this is what, you're, what you've experienced. And then he gave me the name of some churches that I could attend. I said, what do you mean churches I can attend? He goes, you can't stay here. I said, what do you mean? He goes, we don't do this. I said, but you just showed it to me in the Bible. He goes, I, I'm, I'm, that's, not, that's not for me to argue with. I'm just telling you, we don't do this. We're not a Pentecostal church. You need to go be with your people. You're Pentecostal now. You need to go be with your people. I'm 15 years old. He's sending me out to find my people. Let me help you this morning. We're a church that does this. And the reason that we're a church that does this is because what they show in A.D., they show it because it's in the Bible. You do not have to be afraid of anything that God makes available to you. Many of you that are here, at one point in your life, you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, but you have not utilized that gift in many years. You know what? It's time for you to re-engage in that gift because God wants to move in your life with power. I am sick and tired of hearing about what the church used to do. It's time, friend, for some new stories. And the same miracles that you saw in the 70s, the same miracles that you saw in the 80s, God has not changed. Those same biblical principles are at work today. God desires to move in the same way. 
God hasn't changed, you've changed, and He's calling you back. For some of you, you've known about this for a long time, but you've resisted this for a long time. You've resisted it for decades. It's time to stop resisting the moving of the Holy Spirit in your life. For some of you, this is a new concept, and I know it's a little bit uncomfortable for you, but here's the two things that I want to challenge you in. Number one is this. Check it out in the Word. Set aside your tradition for a moment. Set aside what you're used to for a moment. And go to the Word. And if there's anything that I've talked about this morning that is untrue, I want you to confront me about it. Not only do I want you to confront me about it, the church needs to know about it. Because if there's any time that I stand up and I don't preach truth, I should not be here. But what you'll find is this. If you look at the Word of God, you'll find what I've spoken to you this morning is true. And you'll find that this experience that God makes available to you doesn't just make available to you, desires for you is valid. And you're facing far too much struggle and you're encountering far too much difficulty in your daily walk and in your desire to be godly because you're failing to tap into the power that God has made available to you, that He's promised you, that was promised from the days of Joel, that was God's plan from the day of creation. It's this thing that we call Pentecost. It's allowing the spiritual gifts to flow through us. Speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, divine healing, gifts of hospitality, administration, gifts of service, that the body of Christ might come together and be the incredible moving force that God has called it to be. 120 to 3,120. It wouldn't, take long, it wouldn't take long to reach your neighborhood. It wouldn't take long to reach Orlando if the body of Christ would embrace this issue of Pentecost. There, there, there are some little segments of the, of the, of the AD series that, um, that I haven't liked the way that they strayed from, from truth. Some of the poetic license I, I've not appreciated. Like, I, I really didn't like the fact that they only had 12 people in the upper room in that, in, that, in that scene. But you know what I loved? They got it right when Peter said, yeah, now we can go out of this place. Now we can go out into the world and tell the world about Jesus. And God wants to empower you. He wants the Holy Spirit to be active in your life to where the Holy Spirit can remove the fear and help you to operate in fruitfulness, to operate in faith, and to op operate in power. Let's stand together.